You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on June 17, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, beginning at the 26th verse. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Farming is a risky venture. I don't know if any of you have been farmers. I know a few of you have been. But the life of a farmer is a somewhat tenuous life. Gardening is a lot of fun, and it's great when you do it, uh, you know, to get a little bit of extra vegetable or to have some nice flowers grow. There's no risk involved. But when your livelihood depends on the success of your crops, it is indeed a risky venture. If drought comes, you may have a very low yield, and your finances that year may be at risk. If too much water comes, you may have a very low yield, and your finances that year may be at risk. And so you're relying on conditions beyond your control to allow for the income for your family in that year. And it is indeed a hard life. That's why uh, the number of farmers in America is decreasing steadily year by year. And they're moving towards other professions uh, that have a, a more stable income. And yet the farmers who stick with it do it because they have a vocation. They have a calling. And it's a very important calling, and one that all of us rely upon each and every day, every time we go into our pantry and pull out some breakfast or some lunch or some dinner. Farming can indeed be a nail-biting enterprise. And it's easy to take the vegetables that we eat for granted. But the process of growing food or anything else is truly miraculous. Carrots, tomatoes, broccoli, wheat, all of these things start as seeds. And they grow without anything but dirt, water, and air. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Seed goes in the ground, and out of the ground comes sometimes a very large plant seemingly out of nothing. The gardener can do very little. 
that can, you know, add some amendments to the soil. They can make sure that there's consistent watering and irrigation. Um, But ultimately, it's God who makes the tomato. And if you did nothing but scatter tomato seeds, you would probably get some tomatoes. And I know this because sometimes in my own gardening, I've been kind of sloppy. And so some years, I don't quite put my garden to bed in the way you're supposed to. I don't pull up all the old plants. I just sort of let it lie. And one year, we did that, and we came around to spring again. This was in Pennsylvania, so there was a a hard, cold winter, and then things started to, to sprout and grow in the spring. I thought we had weeds, and I started weeding my garden. And one of the weeds had a very familiar smell to it. If you've ever grown tomatoes, you know tomato, even the leaves, smell very much like a tomato. They had a very familiar smell to them, and I realized that all of these weeds were actually tomato plants. And I didn't have to buy any tomato plants that year because they were all provided for me, just from tomatoes that had lied and rotted on the ground and the seeds stayed on the soil. A seed is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. This is exactly the case with the gardener in the parable that we read today. We have this gardener, and all he does in this story is scatter seeds. And so this is the parable of the seed growing. The focus is entirely on the seed, not the farmer, not the farmer's effort. It comes just a little bit after the parable of the sower, which is all about the sower and the soil and all those things. But this is just about the seed. And so we see that the man scatters seed on the ground and he sleeps and rises day and night and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And yet, the earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he picks, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The farmer does almost nothing in this story. He just throws the seed on the ground and the seed starts to grow. Verse 28, uh, we see the earth produces by itself. And that word by itself in Greek is automate, which is the same word from which we get automatically today. The seed grows automatically. It does what it's supposed to do. It just grows And there's nothing that the farmer can do to make it grow. He can't stand over the seed and and tell it to grow. He can't yell at it to get it to grow faster. The seed just grows. It does what a seed does. The farmer doesn't know how this happens. He just knows that it does happen. And he trusts it. And he relies on it year after year to provide him with the harvest and the income that his family needs. Parables are are interesting teaching tools, and Jesus used them all the time to convey the things that he was trying to teach. They're helpful because they they put a a concrete picture into our minds to help convey a point. And usually a parable will have just one simple, single point. Jesus spoke this way all the time. And yet at the end of the gospel today, he says that he didn't tell anybody what the meaning of these parables was. He just told his disciples. So some people would get it, and some people wouldn't get it. So what is the point of this parable today? This parable of seeds growing. 
What does this parable about a lazy farmer tell us about the kingdom of God? For this is indeed a parable about the kingdom of God. We're just going to hold on to that for a second, and we'll look at the next parable. The next parable is about a mustard seed, which starts very small and grows very big. They say in this parable that the mustard seed is one of the smallest of all the seeds, and it is indeed a very small seed. And while the mustard plant is in fact an herb, it can grow very tall. It can grow perhaps 12 feet tall. And its, its stem, its branches, can grow from a very small plant to three or four inches wide and get very woody to the point where it pretty much looks like a tree. Sometimes in, in other Gospels, they call this a tree, a mustard tree. And birds can come and nest in its branches and find shelter in its shade. All from the tiniest little seed. That, too, is pretty amazing when you think about it. Or think about an acorn and the mighty oak tree which emerges and grows so tall out of the ground with a trunk so wide. To think that all of that comes from a tiny little seed or a tiny little acorn is a truly amazing thing. So let's look at these parables together. These seeds scattered on the ground that spontaneously grow, the farmer knows not how, until the harvest comes. And the parable of the mustard seed, with the tiniest of seed growing into a very large plant. Together, I think they're saying something about the kingdom of God. These parables are about the unstoppable and yet sometimes imperceivable growth of the kingdom of God through the power of God. The unstoppable and yet sometimes imperceivable growth of the kingdom of God by the power of God. In the end, there's really not much any one individual can do to grow the kingdom of God. And this is only right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the kingdom of God. It would be the kingdom of Chris, or the kingdom of Stephen, or the kingdom of Marcia, or the kingdom of, insert your name here, But it's not my kingdom or your kingdom. It's God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he's the one that makes it grow. In the context of this actual parable, in this actual time when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, this could have meant a reassurance for what was going on in the world around them. They had come to follow Jesus as their rabbi. They had come to suspect that he was indeed the Christ, the anointed one who was to come. But Jesus was preparing them for the fact that what they thought the kingdom of God was going to look like was very different from what the kingdom of God was actually going to look like. They were expecting a political revolution. And what they got instead was something far greater but very different they got the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. The end result was far different from what they were looking for, and yet far better. But Jesus was preparing them for the fact that this wasn't going to be what they thought it was going to be. We can see this mustard seed kingdom growth on a number of different levels. First of all, we can see it on the individual level with our spiritual growth. No one goes from, saint to, from sinner to saint overnight. 
No one goes from sinner to perfectly holy in a short period of time. It takes a lifetime. From the moment you start walking with the Lord to the moment you die, you continue to grow in your spiritual walk, or hopefully you do. And you will never arrive at it until that day that you die and go to be with the Lord, when sin is no more, and when when our hearts are completely freed to serve Him and to love Him. Until that day, you will be growing. And so it's hard sometimes to see the sin in our own lives and to feel frustrated about the fact that we just keep on sinning even though it's not our desire anymore. We keep doing the things that we don't want to do. And yet, with God's help, each day we step a little bit closer to Him. We grow a little bit more into His image. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us a little bit more makes us a little bit more holy. And the ultimate destiny that we're going for is a perfect life of holiness in the kingdom of God. We can also see this mustard seed kingdom growth in the life of a congregation. When you plant a church, it always starts very small. Sometimes it's just a few people Sometimes it's 40 or 50 people. Sometimes it's 100 people. But when you plant a church, it's always much smaller than where God is hoping for it to go, where God's intending for it to go. And the same is true with any congregational revitalization effort. When a congregation has been declining for some years and we try, under God's help, to help it grow again, sometimes the growth is imperceivable. Sometimes it feels like nothing at all is happening. And yet, over time, God does his work. And the church begins to grow, or begins to regrow. It takes time. It takes patience. But in the case of congregational revitalization, or in the case of church planting, it's always better to focus on the health of the church than it is to focus on the growth of the church. Because there's really very little, again, that you can do to make a church grow. But there's a lot that you can do to make a church healthy. Just like there's very little a farmer can do to make a seed grow. The farmer can just focus on the health of the soil. Finally, we see this in the ultimate sense of the kingdom. The biggest sense of the kingdom. God's reign on earth and in heaven. It starts very small. The kingdom of God began with a small band of 12 apostles on the day of Pentecost, but it has grown enormously. Today, 2.3 billion people are Christians. That's a pretty big number. That's such a big number, I can't even quite understand what that looks like in my head. But 2.3 billion people today are Christians, out of a total of approximately 7.3 billion people. That's a substantial proportion of the earth. And all of that from 12 people that Jesus appointed as apostles. The kingdom started small, but it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. And yet there's still so much growth that needs to happen. 
Because if 7.3 billion people exist in the world and only 2.3 billion of them are Christians, that leaves 5 billion people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and have not submitted their lives to him. And so there's been a lot of growth up to this point, but there's a lot more yet to go for the kingdom of God to come in all of its fullness. Just like the mustard seed, starting out very small, but growing into a very large bush. It can be easy to get discouraged when we see how much work there is yet to do at all of these levels. At the individual level, at the congregational level, and at the ultimate kingdom of God level. And this was the case with the Jews who returned to Babylon after the exile to rebuild Jerusalem. They had been sent away. Their temple was destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem were knocked down. It was a very hard day. And finally, when Cyrus allows Jews to begin returning to their homeland, allows them to begin rebuilding, they get a bit of a start with Ezra and Nehemiah, but the work that starts stops. And there's a period of some years where very little is going on to rebuild Jerusalem. And then we see Zerubbabel, who was the governor of that time. And both through the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, they speak to Zerubbabel, and they encourage him, and they challenge him to get going. We see this in Zechariah chapter 4. And this is in the context of a, a vision, uh, but the, the point of this is the rebuilding of God's house, the temple. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Whoever has despised the day of small things will rejoice. The day of small things is not to be despised. Rather, it's to be embraced with excitement for the things that are yet to come. Bishop Stanway, uh, who was a missionary bishop in Tanzania, he was originally from Australia, became the first dean president of Trinity School for Ministry, where I used to work, one of the, the wonderful Orthodox Anglican seminaries that we have in the United States. And because of his missionary background, he was with the Church Missionary Society, there were a number of foundational principles from that organization that he took with him wherever he went. And one of those principles was to start small while intending great things. To start small while intending great things. And so when he started Trinity School for Ministry, he started it out of his house. He used his garage as the library, and he used his spare bedroom as his office. He started small, but intended great things. 
Not in His own power, not in His own might, but because the Spirit of God was at work, moving in that situation. And indeed, that seminary has grown and now has its own campus. And its library is a former grocery store and not a former garage. Start small while intending great things. But here's the thing. Personally, I don't like taking baby steps. When I'm learning something new, I like to skip over the elementary stuff and just go right into the meat of it. And so when I read through a book, I'll skim the first couple chapters, especially if it's like a a do-it-yourself kind of, I'll skip the first couple chapters, just skimming them. I skip over those application questions, and I just want to get right to the heart of it. I want to dig in. This year, because we now have a house and we're not renting anymore, in my old house I had a, a, a basement. We didn't have a garage. And so I didn't really have much room for tools. But I've always kind of liked saws and drills and other things like that. And so now that we have a house, I've started acquiring some of those tools. And a few months ago, maybe half a year ago, Uh, we needed a new little bookshelf for our kids' library books because they were kind of making a little bit of a mess in in the living room. And so I thought, I'll make a bookshelf. I have these tools now. I'll make a bookshelf. But I didn't want to just make any old bookshelf. I wanted to make a nice looking bookshelf. And so I scoured the internet looking for plans, things that I could use, the tools that I had acquired for. I even got a a couple new tools just for that project. And I got a couple pieces of wood out of my shed that had been left from the the previous owner. I cut them to the right lengths. But the thing is, I got a little overwhelmed by that project. And right now, in my garage, are still sitting a couple cut pieces of wood. They're leaned up against one of the cabinets in my garage. And it hasn't gotten any farther than that, I have to say. But the thing is, it had some, some funny angles to the cuts. It had, it had some plunge cuts for the router. It was, it was a challenging project. And I thought that would be a great project to learn on because there's so many skills I'd have to work on and hone to do this thing. And the thing is, in the end, it hasn't gotten done. It's still not done. In fact, it's truly not even begun. From your giggles, I, I think you can probably all relate to that. <laughs> We all have these projects that we intend great things for, and they never get off the ground. And often it's because we're biting off more than we can chew. Often it's because we're despising the day of small things. We're despising the baby steps. We're wanting to just jump in at a a more advanced level, at a deeper level. But the day of small things is important because it lays the foundation for that which is to come. And so we must embrace it, waiting with eager anticipation. Trusting what the Lord is planning to do, taking it step by step, scattering the seeds and watching them grow. First a little sprout, then a couple leaves, then the full, full grain starts to appear, and eventually one day we get to the harvest. Waiting can be a hard thing to do, though. How many of you like waiting? Waiting. I don't see any hands raised right now. How many of you like waiting? I don't really like waiting. And yet, so many of Jesus' parables are about waiting and being ready for when the day finally comes. Today's parables are no different. The man scatters seed, he waits, and then he participates in the harvest. And this is the kind of evangelism and mission that all of us are supposed to engage in. 
Because the kingdom of God is about souls. It's not about buildings or budgets. It's about souls. Souls who are far from God and need to be reconnected with him. And so first we plant seeds by building relationships and sharing the love and faith that we've found in Jesus Christ. Then we wait while people, while we watch and and see people's lives begin to be transformed by the power of God. And finally, we bring in the harvest when the time is right. It's not by effort. It's not by pushing. It's not by working harder. It's not by crafty principles. It's simple, and it's earthy, and it's messy. It involves rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands a little bit dirty. Sometimes this process takes a very long time, like asparagus, which you don't get to reap in the first season that you plant it. Sometimes it happens very rapidly, like radishes, which you plant, and three or four weeks later, they're ready to eat. This is something we can all do, though. It's something we're all called to do, without exception. Our charge is to be like farmers in the kingdom of God, planting seeds, waiting, and harvesting. Each of us has a part to play, but it's God who does the real work. St. Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth through his first letter to the Corinthians, and there was some conflict in the church about which apostle each of them followed, which one of them baptized them, which one of them had the most influence in their lives. And Paul said, no, no, you've got it all wrong. It's not about me or about Apollos, who was another guy who was preaching and teaching and baptizing there. It's not about Cephas, which is another name for Peter. He says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's God who grows things. It's God who grows mustard seeds. It's God who grows tomatoes. It's God who grows wheat. And it's God who grows the kingdom. It's God who shepherds souls. And so we do our little bit. We play our little part. We're obedient and faithful. And God gives the growth. But the thing is, God can do it without us, but he desires to do it with us. He wants to bring us along. He wants to show us his hand at work. He wants us to participate in the things that he's doing. And if you think about farming, there's one guarantee that will bring a bad harvest. Can you guess what it is? Neglect or not planting seeds in the first place. If you don't plant seeds in the first place, I can guarantee you nothing's going to come up except maybe a few weedy tomatoes, like in my garden. And a few weeds, yeah. But if you don't plant the seeds that you want to to produce a harvest, you're not going to get a harvest. It's the first and most important and essential step, planting good seeds in the soil. 
you don't plant, you don't reap. I used to be the priest in charge for a, a youth retreat in Pittsburgh called Happening. I know we, we had Happening here in this diocese as well many years ago. And uh, one thing I noticed is when I first joined the team as an adult leader, I didn't know any of the kids, and I hadn't really spent much time with them. And when the first retreat came, I was one of the prayer ministers, but very few people came and prayed with me. So I just prayed generally and quietly over the room, asking the Spirit of God to be moving in the hearts of the people there. But the more time I spent with those kids over the years that I was their priest in charge, the more relationships I built, the more people started opening up to me during those ministry times, and the more people started coming to me and asking me to pray with them. Why? Because I planted seeds of relationship in their lives, and then I was able to see the fruit come. And it's the same with all of us. The people in our lives whom we love, but who are far from Christ. Perhaps even people in our lives who we don't love, but are far from Christ, but maybe God is calling us to love them. When we sow seeds in those relationships, we'll begin to see fruit. But if you don't sow the seeds, there is no fruit. God will still do it without you. But he really wants to do it with you. He really wants you to see his power coming. He really wants you to see the fruit as he grows it. He really wants you to have the excitement of watching his kingdom expand. And hearts turning towards him. That's what I want to see. It may seem at times like the work we do in God's kingdom is small, maybe even insignificant. It may seem like what we do is one small drop in the bucket compared to all the work that is yet to be done. But I guarantee you there's much rejoicing in heaven over even the smallest of victories in the kingdom of God. No little bit of work is insignificant in God's kingdom because each little bit contributes to the whole. And all of the small victories are moving towards their ultimate victory, their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. When he returns, when he sets everything right, when he repairs all that's broken. And so we remember in God's word to Zechariah. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When we plant even the smallest of seeds, God's power gives them growth. God's spirit allows them to take off. And then the harvest comes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the great gardener. We thank you that the seeds that we sow take off and grow because of you. And so now we lift up to you, Lord, all the people in our lives who are far from you. Take a moment to name them to the Lord, either silently or aloud. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to plant seeds of faith in the lives of these people. 
And we pray that your power would be at work in them. That those seeds would grow and sprout and take off. So that there might be a great harvest with much rejoicing in heaven. Lord, we're available to you. Please use us as you would have us be used. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.